Good day. Welcome to our uh, midweek uh, meditation session, the last in our series in Lent. We began on Ash Wednesday and have had these uh, sessions each week, and we've been blessed with uh, extraordinary music. And I hear my sound just came up, so uh, that'd be better. So uh, we've been blessed with uh, wonderful music and an opportunity to gather. Uh, We're very happy that you're with us today. Those of you who are joining us online, we're delighted to have you with us also. Um, If you take a minute and write down your name on the little blue pad, we'll know who is here, and that would be helpful for us. Uh, Pass it down the aisle. And those of you online, if you'll also mark your attendance somehow. Today, we're blessed with uh, two musicians who are not strangers to us. They're here a lot. Uh, One is Dr. Alexandra Carlson, who will be uh, accompanying on the piano. And then uh, a really uh, fine person and grand musician, Blair Francis Pompano. Um, Blair, uh, I met during this year, and I've just fallen in love with her flute and her smile. Um, These two good things go together. Um, I think I've shared this story with others, but... Um, during the Christmas Eve services, she and her hum- husband, Radu, were not playing here. They were playing at another church. But we had food over here, and they came over, and they ate with us. And I just love to have them uh, feel so efficiently at home that they come and eat with us. So it's great to have you with us. So, um, this week is a busy Holy Week, the holiest of weeks for the Christian church. It actually overlaps with uh, the Jewish festival of Passover as well. And in fact, the Passover meal is a meal that Jesus shared with his disciples um, on his last supper with them. And that last supper will be commemorated tomorrow evening at 7 o'clock in our worship service here called Monday Thursday. And in that service, we'll do two things. We'll celebrate communion, and that way, by intention, people will come forward and celebrate communion, a little different than we usually do in this setting. And then we will have what is known as the service of Tenebrae. And Tenebrae is the reading of the stories in the Gospels about the, uh, uh, the last uh, days and hours of Jesus. And with each telling of the story, will move further and further into darkness. And the service concludes uh, in darkness, and people depart in silence. On Good Friday at noon, there'll be a very small service in the Gates Chapel uh, next there. It's just an opportunity for those who didn't get enough on Monday, Thursday, and want to to come. We will uh, say a few prayers. We'll hear a little bit of music. I'll do a very brief reflection about the artistic form, the Pieta, and uh, think about um, the the death and suffering of Jesus. And then on Easter morning, uh, we're going to pull all the stops out. And we start by, uh, I have arranged for the sun to rise that morning uh, over Clam Pass Beach. Um, I have, of course, not done that. We've uh, arranged for us to gather on the beach to be able to watch the sunrise as we celebrate Easter on that spot. Um, I I hope that if you've not done that, you'll hope to join us there. Um, The parking in the parking lot 
is uh, available and free, um, more by uh, accident than anything else, but it is uh, free, so you can park in the Clam Pass parking lot. The hotel runs the shuttles out to the beach. There'll be chairs out there, an opportunity to share in that uh, spectacular sharing of the sun rising. The sun rises at about 7.10. Our service begins at 7. Uh, we'll be finished 7.35, 7.40, and we'll come back here um, uh, later if you want at 9 or at 11 for worship. And if you have children, please feel free to bring your children because we have a uh, wonderful, between the first service and the second, an Easter egg hunt. And the last little detail is that when you come to church on Easter Sunday for the 9 or the 11 service, uh, please enter on Creighton Road. If you usually take the shortcut and come in off of Seagate, you won't be able to do that this time. Go around and come in on Creighton Road. We're trying to maximize our parking, and there'll be parking attendants who will help you know where to go. It's a wonderful week. It's a wonderful week to celebrate the great gift of God in Christ, a week to begin as we are today with just a few moments of meditation. Thank you. Let us pray together the words of the invocation. Let us pray. Holy God, who call your people to sustain the weary and protect the oppressed, uphold us in our concern and strengthen us that we may not only speak our prayers, but on be. Amen. Hear this one verse from the book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews. Just the first verse in chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. The word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. From 1990 to 1997, I was the academic dean at Lancaster Theological Seminary. I had to live in that city for about uh, three months before I could say it properly. It's not Lancaster, it's Lancaster. You kind of, Lancaster, kind of like a wrench that drops, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And it was a wonderful community, it had a beautiful chapel, and I was not only the dean, but was also the professor of uh, preaching and worship, which meant that I had a lot of responsibility for our daily chapel services. And that was a delight. Um, it was, uh, unlike this uh, sanctuary, it was somewhat dark and um, uh, kind of baroque you know. It was really a rather remarkable place, so. It had, uh, it was in... Uh, Pennsylvania, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, the home of the Armstrong Tile Flooring Company, and it had cork tile from Armstrong uh, Tile, which acoustically was terrible, but it was just a great space. So, uh, so um, every Ash Wednesday, I put the service together, and I was there for seven years. And one of the things that happened is that at Ash Wednesday, I would do the imposition of ashes, just like we did at the beginning of this Lenten journey seven weeks ago, 
over seven years, I was the, the efficient and put ashes on people. And the students would come and they'd graduate and they'd go and staff would come and retire or so. But, so the line of people would be different. But I'd be aware after a while that over the course of a year from the last time we imposed ashes to this time that we put ashes on someone's forehead that someone, one, two, three, in a really bad year, four or five, people would have died during that time. And it, it kind of struck me that this symbol of mortality that we placed on people's forehead kept coming, being a reality that people actually were mortal and didn't always come back. And it was, a, it was an odd feeling I had. It was almost a, a funny kind of sadness and joy, a kind of burden and a certain buoyancy. There was something about imposing ashes as people came forward and remembering the people who weren't there and knowing that they weren't there and many times knowing that they didn't know that they wouldn't be there, knowing that they weren't there and knowing that they were now dead, but somehow feeling them present in my memory, in my recalling them, in the, in the sense of doing this same thing again this year that we did that year before, in the repetitiveness of it, there was a certain kind of absence, yes, but presence also, a kind of burden of the absence and a certain buoyancy of the presence. Hebrews talks about the cloud of witnesses. I don't know if you've ever driven through a cloud. You probably have. It feels a little bit like fog, but when you go up a mountain and you're up in the mountain and suddenly you've crossed a, an area where a low-lying cloud and the high, rise, high mountain come together and it's a, it's a cloud. You're actually driving in a cloud. And it is not very substantial, of course. You drive right through it. But it's definitely there. Definitely um, a part of what you're doing. And once Lee and I were in the mountains in the Andes and we'd driven up a mountain and we were driving down and it was so cloudy that she had to get out and look at those signs that said curve this way or curve that way so that I didn't drive off the edge of the mountain. Those clouds were a little frightening. Uh, they were so substantial in that way. But the cloud of witnesses is, is, is there, but not quite so substantial. But it is, in my thinking, it is, uh, it, it's the people who didn't get in the line this year but we're still present. It's, it's the people who did Ash Wednesday long before I did it from, from 1990 to 97 in that place. It's from 97 on when they do Ash Wednesday at that place. All those people that have gathered there and all those people who have gathered all the other places I've gathered for worship for an Ash Wednesday or a Monday Thursday or an Easter or a Christmas. All those people who've been around who aren't there anymore that are still part of the cloud of witnesses, people who I never met, who've been there from 
long time before that are still part of it. A, a whole cloud of folks who, who have thought that it important to remember the name of Jesus, thought it was important to tell the story, to gather, to pray, to hope. It's a remarkable group. And it has a certain burden at their absence and buoyancy at their presence. So I want to tell you about one of those people. I came here last May, was here through the heat of the summer. Many of you fled back north. I was here. I had come to Florida because people said the weather was lovely. They lied. It was miserably hot and humid, and there weren't very many of you, and we were involved in the slog here, and we were having fun. It was good, but there weren't that many folks who worship. Now we have a lot. The people are coming back. We're about to slip away again. But one person in particular made a difference. We have a practice, you may remember it, where we pass the peace. And when we pass the peace, we come down the stairs, I do. Angela usually takes that flank, I take this one, and we go over. But right here, right here was a man named Jerry Warren. Jerry was a tall drink of water, uh, a big, tall man in his 90s. He sat right there. He was blind, no longer able to see at all. He'd seen earlier in his life, but his vision had gone. He had one of the hearing devices we have so he could hear better. He didn't listen real well, wasn't able to hear real well. But with that device, he, he did it. And every time I'd come down, I, I learned Jerry's name quickly. I think it helped he wore his name tag, but I learned his name quickly, and I'd come over to Jerry, and I'd say, Jerry, it's David, because I knew he was blind and wouldn't know who I was. I identified myself, and he lit up, and he shook my hand, and we, we connected and passed the peace to one another. I always came here. His family brought him, and he was right here. I was fortunate to be able to go to Bentley Village, this place that I was hearing of. I wanted to go there and see what it actually was. And one of the residents in the care center was Jerry Warren. And I went in, and he was in his room listening to a recording book, and he lit up, and we had a wonderful conversation. And every time I'd come over here and worship, in the hurricane, Jerry made it the day that we had no power. He was here on the hurricane Sunday. It was so wonderful to have him. But he didn't come again because Jerry died. And he's not there anymore. And every week when I go to pass the peace, he's not there. And the burden of his absence weighs on me. He was a sweetheart, the nicest gentleman. The burden of his absence weighs on me. Doesn't it weigh on all of us when someone is gone, when they're not with us anymore? We remember them and we feel the pain of their absence. But I got to tell you the other side of it. Every week when I come to this worship space, And every week that I come over here to this space and I sit in this chair, I know Jerry's not there, but I always look over. 
And there is a certain buoyancy to Jerry's presence. Jerry made a difference to me in this space and has made a difference to the way I come. He's a part now of a cloud of witnesses that I know in this space that you know, a cloud of witnesses, people who have been here, who've been a part of this, people who've been a part of the churches you've been in and the communities you've been in and the family that you have. They are both a burden in their absence and a certain kind of insubstantial but real buoyancy at their presence. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Sisters and brothers in Christ, strugglers in the world in which we live, runners of the races that we have run, who still bear witness that we are bound to and connected with. I just love this tension, the burden of loss, and the buoyancy of presence. Are we not ritually blessed for the presence of those no longer with us? Thanks be to God for such a great cloud of witnesses. Go forth this day in power and in peace. Go forth knowing the burden of the absence of those we miss, love, surrounded us once, no longer do. Go forth feeling that burden as real as it is. But if you may, if you can also be buoyed, lifted up by the presence, the odd, strange, powerful presence there is in being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Amen.